welcome to Between Two Jerseys. This is going to be the first episode of this new show that I'm coming out with. It's going to be called Between Two Jerseys, kind of like the uh, the shit that Zach Galifianakis does, Between Two Ferns. It's kind of like a play on words of that, but I just want to talk about broader topics on this show. I don't want to talk about like just these are three players to go out and buy in fantasy football or my starts and six for the week. I really want to sit down and, and just kind of go through my scattered thoughts of sports, you know, football, fantasy football, dynasty football, the NFL draft, the NBA draft, the NBA, college basketball, UFC, really whatever sport is in season at the time I want to talk about. And maybe I even want to talk about numerous sports at the same time. I just don't really want to be like put into a fucking box in terms of sports and my content. Uh, like I'm kind of on my Kanye shit with that. Like I, I just want to talk about more than just fantasy football because that's what 95% of my content has been right now. But I want to broaden the horizons. This is going to be a longer show, probably in the range of like 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes. I'm not sure yet. We're going to kind of feel it out. And I even want to get you guys involved. If you guys want me to do like a Q&A mailbag part of a show, something like that, like we, like a weekly segment where I involve you guys, just go down below in the comments. And just if you have any recommendations, I'm all ears, man. This is a, this is a free-flowing project podcast that I'm coming out with and I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be really fun got the between the two jerseys I think that's a sick name if you guys if you guys fuck with the name let me know man and put that in the comments while you're down there make sure you like and subscribe and before I go on any longer just bullshitting about what this this whole show is even about let's actually get into the show man let's go Obviously, week seven just wrapped up, so you know we're gonna talk about fucking football. I know that I was just going on about how we're gonna talk about other stuff and sort of distance myself from football itself. Uh, football, it's still in season right now, and we're all still playing fantasy and we're all still watching the sports. And it's been, it, it was an insane weekend last year. We had, I remember I was watching Red Zone. Hanson was on about some bullshit about. I think the last three games of the four of the one o'clock window were all decided by like one score. You had the Lions game, which was a crazy ending. You had the Browns game, just a lot of crazy endings. But I think that the the cherry on top of all of the the shit that we got on Sunday was that Sunday night football game, Cardinals versus Seahawks. Now this was probably one of the the best games I've seen in a long time. It was an insane game, and and it had everything. You had the the short king battle between Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. I think it was the first time ever in Super Bowl era where there was two quarterbacks in one game that were below six feet that both threw for over 250 yards passing. So you had the two best short kings we've seen in a while. You know, the men under six foot, the guys, the guys that don't get any respect from the ladies, they came out here, they proved their shit, they came out there and they, they really put on a show. You had DK Metcalf track down Buda Baker on that crazy pick. DK Metcalf was in the back of the end zone on that. Buda Baker picks it off at like the 10 or at like the, like the two or the three and DK Metcalf spots him like five to 10 yards. You have to remember, it's not just, it's not just Baker at the five and like DK around the goal line. You have to remember that that distance is diagonal when, when he's trying to cover that distance. He caught up, he caught up to Buda Baker on some like GTA, like slipstream when they have like the stream out the back and you fucking pass the guy in the speedway. I, Buda Baker, he runs a four, four, five DK. I know he runs a four, three, eight, but to catch him on the opposite, the opposite side of the field is insane. And then on top of that, DK Metcalf making that play, he gets him down like the six or seven yard line. The Cardinals come out on offense. They get stuffed three times in a row. On the fourth down, they get stuffed. And DK Metcalf single-handedly took all points off the board from the Cardinals off a bad turnover by Russell Wilson. And I, we know that in the locker room, in the shower afterwards, DK Metcalf, he's getting a nice, 
Yo, yo, nice play, dog. I'm telling you, him and Russ, they got a nice connection. He's been saying that Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf have been best friends this offseason. Russell Wilson's even been on, like, his hypnotist shit with, like, a string and a clock. Like, telling DK Metcalf that he's an unstoppable wide receiver. I think DK Metcalf's really starting to buy into that. We've seen him go crazy in these games. And someone that went crazy instead of DK Metcalf, we had Tyler Lockett, who had a crazy boom week. He had 15 for 203. It was just one of those Tyler Lockett weeks where Russell Wilson, we see him just throw fucking, like just rainbows to Tyler Lockett. It wasn't so much for DK. DK could have had a sick play. He had that one touchdown called back in overtime. And then you have the Cardinals coming down to kick the game-winning field goal at the end in overtime, despite never having a lead at any point in that game. Just a crazy game on all sides. It's It, it was a great game, but when you zoom out for a second, let's look at the bigger picture. And I think that the, the defining thing for this game was that this was kind of a little bit of a, of a dark spot on Russell Wilson's MVP campaign for 2020. Now, Russ, he had a great game. He had 388 yards, three touchdowns. He was dotting up the defense, but he threw three interceptions. He only threw three interceptions all season prior to this game and the five games before that. He comes out here, he throws three interceptions. With how bad that defense already is, he's really asking a lot of those boys without Jamal Adams to step up and play defense against the Cardinals. The MVP race has been Russell Wilson out ahead of everybody by like a mile. Him and, him and Pete Carroll going crazy on the sidelines, slinging it letting Russ cook, uh, finally letting Russ cook. And then you look at it, and this game on Sunday night, he comes up short with three interceptions, and it gives him that one dark spot that I think, I think it levels the playing field a little bit between him, Aaron Rodgers, and Mahomes. Because you have to remember, Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes, they've been having a sixth season too, but they also have that one dark spot. They have, Mahomes had the game against Las Vegas where they lost, and then Aaron Rodgers had the game against the Buccaneers where they lost. They just looked absolutely terrible they come out i think they lost like 38 to 10 something crazy like that against the the buccaneers after after that week it was pretty much solidified russell wilson is the mvp he was five and oh no slip-ups or anything like that but i think this is going to be the game where it's his slip-up and i'm not saying he's not going to win mvp but it's not so much it's only going to be russ now i think that there's a a very good case for him aaron Rodgers, and mahomes right now but i still think russ is ahead he is like plus 100 on DraftKings right now i want to say aaron jones and mahomes are both like plus 400 ish and the, the reason is because Russ has 22 touchdowns in only six games, which puts him on pace for 58 passing touchdowns. Remember, 55 is the record. It was set by like a, like a, like a Peyton Manning. Oh, yeah, it was Peyton Manning before the year where he's in his like wheelchair, like getting benched for Brock Osweiler. The year before that, he has Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, goes crazy, throws for 55 touchdowns. But now on the flip side, you have Kyler Murray, who just had probably probably his best game to date. He goes out there, he throws for 360 yards, three touchdowns, an interception, and he has a rushing touchdown. So four touchdowns on the day, 360 yards. Those four touchdowns too, he was responsible for every single touchdown the Cardinals scored. I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but it was towards the end of the game. And what Kyler Murray can do with his feet is just insane. He, he'll like juke out a fucking defender. And then he dove for the goal line, his tiny like 5'10 ass, just like, he just somehow maneuvered underneath to get his knees off the ground goes over the goal line, scores a touchdown. And I heard this before on like another show or podcast. I can't remember what it was, but they were comparing Kyler Murray to Allen Iverson. And I, I like it. He's got that like that small boy drip. He's super fast, super quick. I'd love to see, I'd love to see Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson run a 40 time. I'm telling you, I think Kyler Murray's got like, like low 4-4 speed. The guy, he's really fast. He's really quick. He's a gamer. He just looks like a guy that like really wants to win games. And I think the one thing that are kind of holding these Cardinals back is Cliff Kingsbury. At that rap verse, um, you know, I'm feeling a uh, strong one to a light two on this thing. I know, I know he's got that, 
that nice flat. We saw it at the, uh, or the, the nice crib. We saw it on draft night. The guy's posted. He's got multi-million dollars. He's living his best life. And he was kind of, he was almost marketed to the NFL, like NFL fans that he's this guru, offensive guru. He's going to run the air raid. He's going to do all this. But his, his play calling hasn't been anything crazy to me. And I think his time management is probably, or not even his time management, just just game flow, game management is kind of suspect. And the reason why I say Cliff Kingsbury holds him back, you have to remember the talent of guys like Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. This is a stacked squad that should be competing for Super Bowl, and I really think they are. But I think that Kingsbury kind of got his, like, he kind of got his ass saved on, on Sunday night. You have to remember that overtime, that overtime drive happens, all right? So overtime, it happens. Seahawks win the toss. Russell Wilson, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where Russell Wilson gets the ball first in overtime and doesn't go down and just score a touchdown and the whole fucking thing. So he punts it. Cliff Kingsbury gets the ball, and he drives from his own 28 to the opposite 18. And from there, that's where Cliff Kingsbury just starts. I think that he just he just shits himself. He goes out there. On, on first down, he gets a run play to Kyler Murray. It's just like a QB draw to the left hash. Like, obviously, most, most coaches are going to want their kicker to have the spot of the field where they want to kick from. I think the left hash is where Zane Gonzalez likes to kick from. So fine, call that play by all means, but on first down, that's a play you call on third down. So he does this on first down, gets a minus five. So now he goes from the opposite 18 to the opposite 23. So now it's the 40, 41 yard kick. And as clock runs down, instead of getting delay of game, he calls a timeout. Zane Gonzalez makes the field goal and he ices his own fucking kicker. So now you have this, this young coach doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He ices his own kicker and then he sends the field goal on from 41 yards out two times in a row on second down. The, the thought process behind, the, like the, the clock wasn't even against them. They just decided we're going to sit down and just kick the field goal 41 yards out. And I know it's the game winner, but it's on second down without time being a problem. You have to just run two run plays. You could even run, you could even run like two intermediate pass plays just have your money plays that are going to get you five to ten yards three to four yards inch a little closer from that 18 yard line get there it, at the very least okay let's say you want to kick the field goal on second down i can completely see that from the 18 but when you get when you get your quarterback blown up five yards back now it's the 41 it's a guy who's not money from every spot maybe you want to run a couple more plays to make up for that five yards and maybe just only run it to the left to keep it on that hash so regardless cliff kingsbury he's the coach not me he goes out there kicks the field goal they miss and then they now give russ another opportunity and all russ has to do is drive down the field and kick a field goal he gets gifted again now i know that a lot of you guys aren't going to to say cliff kingsbury got gifted this but you have to remember you give russell you give russell wilson two opportunities in overtime to go down and win most coaches aren't making that making it out of that game with a win. There's not many times where you give Russell Wilson the ball twice in overtime and he doesn't get points on the board. So he gets an interception, then they come back. The Cardinals come down, they they drive down, kick the field goal. But the the play before Cliff Kingsbury decides that it's his time to throw Christian Kirk deep on a, on a streak towards the back of the end zone. Now, I can kind of see as a coach wanting to just gun for the end zone. I know that you guys just missed the field goal, shanked it. But when you're that close, they get down to like the opposite. I think they were inside of the opposite 20. They go down there. And why not just run a couple run plays, get closer before you kick that field goal? Why, why take that shot at the end zone? Why risk the pick? Why risk the tie? To me, 
I just think that there were some clearing red flags that I think down the road you'll see Cliff Kingsbury probably he'll either have to step up and be better or he's just going to be let go and then they'll bring somebody else to to be the coach for Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. This is a team that in the next like two, three years should really be contending for a title. And I know that they are five and two and technically are, but I'm not sure that I think to me, they're only going to go as far as Cliff Kingsbury will take them. Even with Kingsbury holding them back, Kyler Murray has looked sick this year. I really think that he's like a dark horse for MVP this year. And I think like Kyler Murray is honestly, he might be so cold that he's kind of the reason why Cliff Kingsbury is viewed in this light as like a offensive guru, offensive mastermind type quarter or, or type coach but to me like i just said kingsbury is not that guy but kyler murray what he's done this year it's kind of it's not that impressive on paper when you look at it he has 13 touchdowns or 13 touchdowns to seven interceptions and it doesn't seem like an mvp season like a like a two to one interception ratio is nothing crazy but when you count up his total touchdowns that's when it's insane he's he has seven rushing touchdowns right now which is tied for the league lead which which just like let's just step back for a second a guy who's 5'11 200 pounds soaking wet. Kyler Murray isn't a goal line. He's not Cam Newton. He's not Josh Allen. And right now he has the most rushing touchdowns in the NFL. And I think that's just that just speaks about his quickness, his ability to just get into the end zone. And the reason why he only has 13 rushing touchdowns or 13 passing touchdowns is because he has seven rushing touchdowns. He doesn't need to throw it in the red zone when he can just run it in from the 5, 10, 15 yard line. He's actually tied for second in total touchdowns for QBs with 20. And he's on pace for a thousand rushing yards and 16 rushing touchdowns. Now, I don't think he's going to get 16 rushing touchdowns. I think it's a little bit, I think he's kind of outperforming his luck a little bit right now. But I do kind of see a world where he does finish with 16 rushing touchdowns because of how sustainable it's been. Kenyon Drake just went down with that injury. I think that the MRI was negative on the ankle or whatever it was, but their running backs aren't big between the tackles guys. They're both satellite plus type guys, him and Chase Edmonds. So seeing Kyler Murray nosedive into the end zone do juke moves into the end zone I think we're gonna see a lot of that this year he's gonna have a Lamar type season he's just not having that efficiency through the air I think that Lamar Jackson had a crazy touchdown rate last year Kyler Murray doesn't have a great touchdown rate and the other knock on Kyler Murray right now is his lack of his lack of yards per attempt I think that he, ha he has one of the lower yards per attempt in the league and it's almost like ADOT for quarterbacks he's not throwing it super far down the field he's kind of almost playing he's like a super mobile guy but he's also kind of checking it down more than he should be and that's where I kind of get conflicted because I'm not sure if it's Kyler Murray's tendency because he was a guy that threw it around a lot in college. Taking he takes deep shots. He's a guy that doesn't have he doesn't have bad throw uh like he doesn't have bad arm strength and then he's a fine uh, passer thrower whatever you want to call it. I really think it's it's Kingsbury's weird play calling where he play he does call a lot of screens a lot of things around the line of scrimmage for a team that only really has Christian Kirk as a playmaker like that. You'd like to see him take a couple more shots down down the field and for a guy with seven interceptions you'd hope that his yards per attempt would be higher so that he's passing down the field taking shots taking chances and another standout QB right now that we're seeing throw passes down the field take chances is Justin Herbert and I can't explain enough how good I really think that Justin Herbert is he just put up 38.48 fantasy points on the Jags and I know it's a Jaguars but as a Jets fan I've seen I've seen the rookie quarterbacks come and go I've seen quarterbacks come and go I've seen bad quarterbacks and to just have a rookie quarterback that is averaging 308 yards per game, 2.8 touchdowns per game in his first five career starts, I, I couldn't even imagine what that feeling is like. I can't even sit here and act like I've been there before because I never have. My the, the best quarterback I've seen at the Jets during my time as a fan was like Brett Favre, Chad Pennington. And these guys passed their prime. 
the feeling the, the feeling that I could I could only envy from the Chargers fans. They miss out on Tua and Burrow. I know a lot of guys were really in their feelings, really in their bag that they get Justin Herbert. It's just kind of like, oh, we got Justin Herbert. We'll see what happens. He wasn't supposed to start. Then you get Tyrod Taylor, who gets like the weird fucking steroid injection into his lungs. He's out. Justin Herbert comes in and in five games, he's just insane. The if I'm a Chargers fan, I'm feeling good. I know that you guys are like two and four. Something something bad. You guys probably aren't making the playoffs, but that's a good thing. Give give Justin Herbert and that Chargers team another another top fifteen pick, and it's over. You get Derwin James healthy. Joey Bosa's looked good this year. This is a team that's losing a lot of close games. It seems like the Chargers always lose close games. They always have like one possession games where they lose a lot of them. And like I said, that's fine for Chargers going forward. But let, let's take a step back real quick to Justin Herbert as a prospect. And when uh, when I was ranking these guys before the draft. I personally had Tua and Burrow in a, in a tier of their own, and then I had Herbert. I wasn't really looking at Herbert as this crazy... I, I don't think anyone th thought that Justin Herbert was going to be the next Andrew Luck. But the guy... I, if I'm starting a, a franchise today, and we're drafting QBs, like a fantasy draft kind of thing, I'm not sure how Justin Herbert isn't in my top five QBs to build around right now. The guy, he's 6'6", he's super fast, great arm, and I think, I think both communities between like the film and analyst communities... We, we both got it wrong on Justin Herbert. I, I don't know a single person out there that thought that Herbert, that had Herbert as their QB1, and if they did, they were probably lucky. Herbert just looked like that classic developmental QB. You had the analytics and film communities. We kind of all agreed that he was just this, like, Josh Allen type guy, you know, tall, athletic, big arm, but, like, he had, like, a lackluster college resume. So when you look at it from the, the statistics and analytics side of things, which I would say I lean that way, but I, I like to look at both things. I'm not a, I'm not a film guy, but, you know, you know, I'll lob on a couple highlight or two and I'll see what this player is all about. But Herbert was never a crazy prospect. You know, he started or he was like a, a four year starter at Oregon, but he never did anything crazy. He never like even finished. I don't think that he ever had any Heisman votes. I could be wrong on that. I don't think he ever had any Heisman votes. He had 3,400 yards a senior year, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions, just nothing, nothing that stands out, anything crazy. And then on top of that, he had a junior slump where he comes out and he has an under 60% completion percentage. So that's always a that's always a concern. If a, if a college QB has an under 50%, under 60% completion percentage, always a reason for concern. His yards per attempt went down that season. Basically, that junior slump was worrying, and he comes out of senior year. He doesn't do anything crazy, so there's not much to love. He was just kind of a whatever prospect. You know, he, he did decent in the box score. He was tall, big, athletic, like I said. And then the film guys, I, I heard a lot coming out on that film community, those film grinders, the guy who watched the tape. They were saying that Herbert, he'll he'll drop back in the pocket at Oregon and he'll look at his first read, he'll stare down the first read and then he'll just tuck it and run if it's not there. A guy, and that's, that's never something you want. That's a guy that isn't going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. You want a guy who's going to look at their first, second, third read, read, make the good throw. That's how you get a Christian Hackenberg, a Mitch Trubisky, a guy who just looks at the first read and it's not there, then it's not there. And they're either getting sacked or they're running for like two or three yards. And to me, these concerns, I, I from what I've seen from Herbert, I don't think he has any problems looking at the second or third read. It looks like he's settled into that offense. It looks like he's like just chilling out in the pot in the pocket you know he's like a, a chill dude from Oregon and he's just making he's making the right throws he's fucking chucking it deep to everybody he's just lighting the league on fire right now and I think I think I'm really just trying to figure out where it all went wrong you have to remember he, he was getting put up against Tua and Burrow Tua and Burrow two guys that came out as juniors remember Herbert comes out as a senior as a senior You'd like to see him light it up a little bit more, you know, 3,400 yards, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions is solid, 
but as a senior when you're like a grown man amongst boys for Justin Herbert it's not that we needed to see more it's that we needed to to maybe provide a little bit more context around his career at Oregon remember at Oregon Oregon's not pumping out the next Calvin Johnson you know crazy next wide receiver we have these these factories of NFL talent like Alabama they have Henry Ruggs Devontae Smith uh who do we just have? Jerry Judy. Then you also have Jalen Waddell. And then at LSU, you had Terrence Mitchell, Thaddeus Moss, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. These teams are, are producing NFL caliber wide receivers. And those are the guys that Tua and Joe Burrow had on their team. Now, no disrespect to either of those guys, but Oregon is not Alabama. It's not Clemson, LSU. It's not any of those type of teams. And it's you have to you have to give Herbert the benefit of the doubt. During his four-year career at Oregon, only one wide receiver he ever had reached 1,000 yards. That was Dylan Mitchell, who got drafted in the seventh round in 2019. So the guy is throwing to, to scrubs. I don't care. I don't care that they that a lot of these guys, I know Oregon, they recruit well. I was looking at their 247 pages. I know a lot of these guys are three-star, or not, a lot of them are four-star wide receivers. And I don't give a shit what their star is if they come on the field and they're ass, man. You, you're asking a lot from Justin Herbert, who never had a stud wider. He never had his Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy. He never had his T. Higgins, Justin Ross that Trevor Lawrence even had. And Trevor Lawrence is going to be like an Andrew Luck type receiver. It's a rare, it takes a rare, rare quarterback to go out there and be elite without wide receivers. And I think that we have to start emphasizing more in the quarterback evaluation process in the college and in pros, the supporting cast of wide receivers. Remember, I told you, this Mitchell kid is the only wide receiver they've had drafted during that senior season that Justin Herbert had where he had 32 touchdowns. No wide receiver had over seven touchdowns and 12 different receivers had a touchdown from Justin Herbert. During that season, he threw for 3,400 yards and no one broke 1,000 yards during his senior season. Only one wide receiver broke 500 yards. So in his last season, he's spreading out the ball in insane ways, 32 touchdowns, 3,400 yards, and no receiver even broke 1,000 yards. He never had his stud receiver, so it's hard to compare him to Tua and Burrow, and Herbert's number should have never been taken at face value. It should, we should have never looked at Justin Herbert and and compared them to Tua and Burrow because you have to understand that Oregon, that Oregon doesn't have that type of receiver talent in the receiver room. They're, like Even some schools, they'll, they'll have guys that go fourth, fifth, sixth round, seventh round, the last wide receiver that got drafted outside of the Mitchell kid was in 2014 when it was like Josh Huff and I want to say like the third or fourth round. The, Oregon does not produce wide receivers. I, I, can't, I can't even name an Oregon wide receiver besides it would have to be like DeAnthony Thomas. It would have to be those, those small guys at Oregon that are, are like gadget players. They don't, they don't produce guys like uh, Julio Jones. They're not in Alabama. They're not going to produce crazy wide receivers. So to ask Justin Herbert to come out here in college and compete for a Heisman without a wide receiver. You can even look at uh, Oklahoma. They had Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. Yes, but they also had they had Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, Ceedee Lamb. You have Charleston Rambo, who's a solid uh, wide receiver. So these teams that are are producing these these elite quarterbacks, we have to we have to view them in a different light from the guys that are coming out from different schools, like in Oregon. Or this year, you have uh, not Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, but you have Trey Lance. We have to look at a different light. You also have the uh, Zach Wilson kid from BYU. You, I think that it's really start. It's time that we start looking at the receivers that they have on the college teams or anything else. You then you have a guy like Dwayne Haskins who who comes to the NFL doesn't do well. He doesn't have a good receiving cast uh, in Washington, but in college he had Paris Campbell, he had 
J.K. Dobbins. He had Terry McLaurin, a guy that's on his team right now that's doing really well. And then you also have Johnny Manziel, who's on the flip side of that. In the in the back of the, the video, the boy, Johnny Manziel, can't fucking hear you with all the cash in his ear. But he was kind of propelled a little bit in college because he did have Mike Evans. I want to say Christian Kirk was a rookie. Uh, and at the very least, Josh Reynolds was there. So he had NFL talent at wide receiver. So you have to look at it through a different lens with these kind of guys. And... Johnny Menzel, he has NFL talent at wide receiver in college. Then he goes to the NFL level and he struggles. We know that was some off the field stuff. He probably would have been a stud not for the off the field stuff. But in all realness, Johnny Menzel probably had no business being a first round pick. He's my fucking guy, but he didn't deserve to be a first round pick. And Mike Evans in that receiver room propelled him to that. And that's why he busted. So I think that we have to start looking at that a little bit more. And then on top of that, I think that we, we value... I think the NFL values offensive line a little bit too much for quarterback play. Alabama had a good offensive line. All those teams had good offensive lines, but so did Justin Herbert. Oregon is one of the few, they're actually, they sort of pump out offensive line uh, talent. They had Shane Lemieux. They had Penny Sewell, who's about to get drafted in the top three. And as much as those guys do up front, they're not going to contribute to the counting stats. So that's why I think that the receiving, the receiving room, the tight end, the skill positions are what really matter for a quarterback's development early in his career and the numbers that he puts up. So I think we're seeing this with Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert's a great quarterback and it showed, but I don't think that he ever had a fair shot at being in this elite quarterback until he goes to the NFL where he comes into a, a place that has Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry. And that's, that's a solid, that's a top 10, top 12 receiving room. Then you also have Kyler Murray in year two. Kyler Murray in year one, wasn't anything crazy. He had a 58 quarterback rating that was outside the top 15. Now this year he's inside the top eight with 74.3 quarterback rating. And that's with a healthy Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins, Chase Edmonds, Andy Isabella, Larry Fitzgerald. You have to give these, these young quarterbacks a strong, a strong skill position unit before you can actually like fairly evaluate these guys as players. If they have, if they have just an offensive line and nobody to throw to, that's not doing them any good. On top of that, not only are not only is having a good offensive line with no receivers not doing much for the quarterback, but I'd much rather have a team with stacked wide receivers and no offensive line at all, because that is almost what the Cardinals and the Chargers are running right now. Now, I'm a college student, broke boy. You know that I don't have that pro football focus subscription right now, but they did release a free free article after week three where they went over the, the top offensive lines through three weeks. And the Chargers had the 30th best offensive line and the Cardinals had the 26th offensive line, best offensive line. So these are guys with bottom 10, bottom of the league's offensive lines, and they're they're balling out. I, I really, I do think that it's a, I think it's kind of bold for me to say it, but I don't think that offensive line is what it used to be for the quarterback position, especially a mobile quarterback like a Herbert or a Murray when they can just get out of their own way. I don't think that you need to build this crazy. I think you just need a piece, like a one or two. It just can't. It just can't be an abysmal offensive line. It just can't be a sorry excuse for an offensive line. If you just have a decent offensive line, even thirtieth, the Chargers are thirtieth, the thirtieth best offensive line. That's still pretty shitty. But I think it comes down to how fast a quarterback gets the ball out, how how they can read the receivers, and it becomes much easier if these receivers are good at getting separation. And on the flip side of this, you have Cam Newton. Now, rest in peace, Cam Newton. He's the boy. But, man, tough game against the 49ers. He gets benched for Jarrett Stidham. And the, the reason why this is the flip side of this is because Cam Newton has the second best offensive line in football through three weeks. I know it's week seven, or it's about to be week eight. But we have to look at this in a way that, like, we know offensive line, like, I'm not an offensive line guru. I'll never claim to be an offensive line guru. 
But offensive line, it only changes so much throughout the season. You're not going to see an offensive line go from 30th in PFF to top five. So these numbers are, look at them, they could be five either way. I, I don't have a PFF membership. If any of you guys do have a PFF membership, please, please comment down below where these offensive lines are ranked at right now. But Cam Newton has the second best offensive line. He goes out there, gets benched for Jared Stidham. And this is, as, as bad as you want to say Cam Newton is, there's only so much you can expect out of him with like a 35-year-old Julian Edelman. And then you also have Nikhil Harry, who we, we don't know if he's actually good at wide receiver. And his third, his third option is like Jacoby Myers. They don't have a tight end. They don't have, they, they really don't have that much receiving talent. And you're asking Cam Newton a lot to go out there and make plays with a bad receiving room, despite having the second best offensive line in football. So what this means is I think offensive line is, I think now it's almost a luxury in the NFL having a sick offensive line. You don't need to have a top five, top 10 offensive line. That's something as the pass. I think that that almost buys into the whole, let's, let's ground and pound. Let's get a good offensive line. Let's ground and pound. Let's get a good defense going. And that's of the past. I think now you want to have as much assets invested in your receivers, your cornerbacks, your pass rush, and then your pass protectors, which is literally just your, your tackles. That's all, that's all I think that matters right now. That's the bare bones. And then you work your team out from there. With this mindset that a quarterback needs a receiving room to succeed, I think that we haven't given the, the two 2018 QBs a fair shot at being franchise quarterbacks. And that's going to be Sam Donald and Josh Rosen. These are two guys that go into to crazy bad receiver rooms. You have Josh Rosen. He goes into the Cardinals. They go 3-10. and 10, or he, His record's like 3-10, and 3-11. and Because I think that uh, Sam Bradford started a few games. But his leading receiver was Larry Fitzgerald, who was like 36 at the time. And now you have Darnold, who's out here throwing to Jamison. Or Jamison Crowder can't even stay on the field. He's throwing to Brashad Perriman. Braxton Berrios is his main target right now. And I think it's not, you're not giving these guys a fair shot when Sam Donald, he's used to throwing to Juju Smith-Schuster in college. So he has Juju Smith-Schuster. It's just, it's just a different tier of wide receiver between Juju Smith-Schuster and the Braxton Berrios. If a guy, if his best receiver that he's ever thrown to was in college, that's a problem. The pros are supposed to be much better than college. These guys both had receiver rooms that were in the bottom five in the NFL when they came into the league. And I just want, I just would love to know what these guys' career would look like if they came into a charger spot, if they came into... Uh, they came into the Cardinals spot. They had DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, or even if they did something like Joe Burrow right now. Joe Burrow looks pretty good, and all he really has is like AJ Green, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. There, there's some weapons, but not a lot of weapons. But it's still a top 20, top 15 receiver group, whereas these guys are going into teams with not only bad receivers, but bad O-lines. And I think that I think that these are two guys that were done dirty by the system. And I, I really still can't say whether or not Donald or Rosen are franchise QBs because I've never seen them with a supporting cast that would be worthy of a franchise QB. So I think that we're doing those guys dirty, but they're they're going to be out of the league and it's unfair to them, but they're going to be out of the league soon. And then soon we're going to have the golden boy. The Jets probably going to draft Trevor Lawrence. They're going to think that that's going to solve their problem. And I think Trevor Lawrence could be that quarterback that's transcendent of his talent around him. But Joe Douglas, the GM on the Jets, needs to surround Trevor Lawrence with talent at the wide receiver position because... I really, I really think that it's receiver over everything on offense for a quarter, a young quarterback's development. You have to give him at least that one wide receiver one, that alpha in the offense to really get things going. The guy who could be the Jets wide receiver one alpha for whether that's Trevor Lawrence or Sam Darnold is Denzel Mims. I think that we're all kind of like it's, it's week eight of the NFL season. I think that we're all kind of forgetting who Denzel Mims is 
And I think Denzel Mims could really, he could, he could save Sam Donald's career. This is a guy, he was drafted in the second round, and he had, he had a good game last week. He plays against the Bills, and he gets seven targets, which is a team high. He goes over a 30% target share, and he gets four catches for 42 yards. So he's under the radar. This was because he played against Tredavious White. To me, four for 42 in your first game against Tredavious White, that's a win. We all know Trey White, the guy out of LSU, he's an elite, elite corner. And to go up against a rookie wide receiver, and for Denzel Mims to come out there and just command the team high targets, get looks on the field is huge for a rookie and we're only going to see him progress from here we have to remember mims is no joke as a prospect this is a guy that i think that we should be buying in dynasty right now because he's he's sort of getting slept on he didn't have a great game against Davis white but he scores a touchdown it's another question but remember who he was as a prospect he's 6'3 207 pounds and he's best comparable to chris godwin on player profile so he's above the 90th percentile in every workout metric besides agility score so he's that he did well at the combine. He runs a 4.38 at 6.3, which is insane size adjusted speed. He looks like Chris Godwin, and he broke out as a sophomore in college. And his his prospect profile is damn near bulletproof to me. At the best you could possibly see from a senior wide receiver coming out. He didn't have that early declare. That's a problem. He didn't break out at a super early age. That's a problem. But he did he did break out as a sophomore, so I like him. And personally, uh, when I had my rankings for rookie drafts, he was my wide receiver five in the same tier as Judy Chenault and T Higgins. Remember, he's a second round pick. He was drafted after those guys, but he was drafted in the same tier as a Chenault and T Higgins in that in that mid to late second round. And you have to remember with Denzel Mims is you can buy him right now in dynasty leagues at a price of just some some high potential wide receiver and he could all he has to do is play from weeks 7 through 17 and I think Denzel Mims could get that stock to where Chenault and Higgins are right now as a top 24 dynasty wide receiver. You have to remember that Denzel Mims, right now, I'm not saying that you can buy him low. You can't really buy any rookie low in their, in their rookie season, but buy him at market price now because I think that's how you get value as he progresses. If you if you bought Justin Jefferson before the season started, if you bought Chenault before the season started, T Higgins before the season started, it would have been at a premium, but you would have you would have increased your value no matter, as long as you pay that market price. So I'm saying Mims has that potential to be the next guy. There's nobody in this Jets offense Mims was a second round pick and you you buy that value now in hope that that he can break out. There's no competition on that team. They're going to be behind in games and the Jets have this this like they have this stench around them in dynasty. Nobody wants the Jets, but the way I look at it is I want Denzel Mims right now because he has the he has the ability to become an alpha wide receiver by the end of the season and on top of that Gates is going to be gone, Darnold might be gone and you can trade for a guy right now that can increase his stock. And then in year two, he could have Trevor Lawrence throwing him the ball and be the wide receiver one. Because in that scenario where Trevor Lawrence is a Jets quarterback, they don't take Jamar Chase. If they stick with Sam Donald, they probably take a Jamar Chase or Rashad Bateman in that, in that top 10. But if they get that first overall pick, they get Trevor Lawrence. It's going to be tough for them to get a, a stud wide receiver that would be better than Denzel Mims. So you grab Denzel Mims now in Dynasty. I think he's going to progress. He's going to be, get better. And... We haven't seen we haven't seen what Denzel Mims can be in the NFL yet. Remember, we we didn't expect any of this to happen from Justin Jefferson, Lavisca Schnall, T. Higgins. We didn't expect we didn't even expect C.D. Lamb to break out like this. But it seems like these 2020 wide receivers, even 2019, these wide receivers that are coming out in these draft classes are more pro ready, more NFL ready. Remember, Denzel Mims, he's a he came out as a senior. He did great at the Senior Bowl. I think that this is a guy that's going to come on the field, make an immediate impact. He already demanded 
team high, high in targets in his first game back. I think him and Donald are going to establish a little bit of a rapport. You know what I mean? I think Denzel Mims is a great buy right now. And don't be surprised if he's a top 20 dynasty wide receiver in 365 days. If you made it this far, man, I appreciate it. If you, especially if you made it the whole 30, 35, 40 minutes, I really, I can't even tell you right now how long this video is going to be. I just recorded it. But if you made it this far, all the way to the end, I really appreciate it. And if you haven't subscribed already, you have to at this point. If you sat through me just ramble on for that amount of time, you're the bro, you're the homie. Make sure you subscribe, make sure you like this video. And if you have any recommendations for a mailbag in the future, any Q&As, any segments on the show that you want. I know I didn't really get to go into the UFC fight that just happened with Khabib. Uh, I didn't get into college football. I want to I wanna diversify from just football. As I said, I know I just talked about only football. But I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna figure out kind of the the structure of how I want this like solo show to go. As I said, there's a lot of moving parts. This is the first one. Second one probably gonna be coming out next week. As always, follow my Twitter at Ron Stewart underscore. Subscribe, and as always, I'll see you in the next one.